0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: And today the business at hand is the business of making nature more accessible to communities, primarily in urban settings. One organization that has done this quite beautifully here in Metro Atlanta is the Blue Heron Nature Preserve, and I'm very pleased to have as my guest the Executive Director Kevin McCauley. Welcome to the Business Hour, Kevin.
2: Thanks, Ron. Great to be here.
1: Now, Kevin, let's start r- at the beginning uh, and, and talk a little bit about how the Blue Heron Nature Preserve was created uh, as an organization, and then we'll talk about the actual nature preserve uh, itself. Um, how did the concept come about, um, and actually, how long did it take from concept to fruition? And, and who were some of the key players? Uh, and then just, we'll talk a little bit about that early execution.
2: Sure, Ron. Yeah, uh, Blue Heron has an interesting story. Um, it's very much a grassroots effort started by a woman by the name of Nancy Jones. Uh, she lived in the neighborhood in North Buckhead for many years and uh, actually taught uh, elementary arts at the local elementary school in the area. And uh, she became aware of a development that was going in down the street from her. And it happened to be a place where her son and his friends played. And a lot of the neighbors kind of used it as their, their backyard or their playground. And she just became concerned that it was going to be um, lost to this development. So she, unlike the rest of us who kind of see something like that happening, shake our heads and, and complain about it, she actually decided to do something about it. And she actually approached the developer and um, It was a townhome development, going to be a very fairly large-scale townhome development on about 15 acres of land, and um, it was along Nancy Creek. And she was able to uh, work her magic and talk to the developer uh, about her concerns and got him to become sympathetic to this idea of trying to preserve a piece of this property. Now, being along a creek, there's a lot of issues with development, So so the developer kind of needed somebody on the neighborhood side to kind of be on his side, and so she was able to kind of broker a deal between uh, the developer and between the neighborhood to allow the development to proceed, but on a much smaller scale than it originally was planned. So and, and it was agreed upon
1: that that stretch um, that is now the uh, Nature Preserve would be untouched?
2: Yeah, so she, she was able to get uh, this developer to agree to set aside seven acres of the property <coughs> to be left as a green space, which it, it was adjacent to his property, so he actually named the property Chastain Reserve, uh, trying to actually promote the idea that you were going to be able to purchase a townhome that was next to a, s- a seven-acre green space. So she was able to convince the developer to do that, and she convinced the neighborhood to allow this to proceed along uh, a creek in a floodplain, and they took measures to address the fact that it was in a floodplain. So the neighborhood got something in return. I mean, uh, our area of Atlanta suffers from the lack of green space, or lack of parks so the neighborhood was very uh, thirsty for some uh, some opportunities to grow that parkland in that area. So there was a lot of support to kind of let the, per- the development to proceed, but in exchange provide this green space in the neighborhood. So it was a kind of a win-win in many ways. Well,
1: <clears throat> a lot of listeners may
2: or may not be aware that, uh, cities
1: all over the world, but particularly here in the U.S., um, suffer from a, a, a lack of green space. I mean, there are some notable examples that have uh, 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 parks, uh, even with uh, the uh, the big park uh, in uh, Central Park that is central to Manhattan in New York City, uh, there really is aren't a lot of pocket parks in, in and around New York City and its boroughs, uh, even Los Angeles, uh, although that's a little bit different example, because in proximity to Las- Los Angeles, um, the hills that are on fire in the Santa Monica, Monica Mountains and mm-hmm. around the Malibu Canyons, uh, there are some some large parks, but there often aren't smaller parks in the neighborhoods. So we're uh, in the last couple of decades, um, we've become a, a little more adept at. Altering public policy, working on public-private partnerships, working with developers, and the Blue Heron uh, Nature Preserve would be a great example uh, of just exactly that. Uh, as you pointed out, that you know the developer uh, saw it as a way to endear himself to the neighborhood, and it and he did, and uh, it was a way to preserve those seven seven acres. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so there wasn't any
2: actual land purchase involved. No, it was just basically a set-aside, and and the interesting thing about this is the city was not involved in this at all, so this was strictly a private uh, effort, and and Nancy, being an art teacher, was really not schooled in in how to run uh, uh, an organization to manage a green space, so she kind of learned as she went. She was still teaching at the time, so this was kind of just a side uh, gig for her. And um, she inspired a lot of others to get involved, and that's where kind of the whole grassroots um, kind of took off, is once she was able to be successful with this, she brought a lot of others into the fold to help her along uh, with her efforts to try to preserve this green space and then restore it ultimately. So it started out as a private park, private uh, preserve, which was open to the public, but it was privately owned. Uh, she got involved with the Chattawa Land Trust which is a uh, an organization that helps to uh, preserve um, land and they actually owned the property and then there was an easement that um, that that ensure that it was being preserved and protected. No no what year was that that it officially So 2000 is kind of the year we use as the start of of the Blue Heron Nature Preserve. So it was around that time. It took, you know, it took a while for the whole negotiation to work out, but around then is when the organization kind of started. We became an official organization in 2002. Um,
1: now, did it begin a- as a designated 501c3 nonprofit?
2: No. So in 2000, it was just uh, the Chattahoochee Land Trust and um, um, uh, Nancy in- involved. Because it was privately held. didn't need to uh, – you weren't collecting funds. and yeah, you, The right. park existed, yeah. Yeah, so she just got neighbors uh, involved in coming out to the preserve to help to start to build trails, to start to remove some of the invasives. There was all sorts of – Wisteria, privets, English ivy, and so there was a lot of work days that were formed. A gentleman by the name of Jack White, who had a an organization that used AmeriCorps volunteers, also got involved, and he 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 was very skilled in the idea of restoration, both stream restoration as well as habitat restoration. So he helped to get people involved and young people involved in helping. On mainly a lot of manual uh, work was done. There wasn't a lot of sophisticated. Um, restoration going on, but um, nonetheless, it was very very small scale at first, but very successful because it, it kind of energized the neighborhood.
1: Well, well Nancy Jones uh, <laughs> would seem to have been really, really resourceful because as, if she was learning uh, um, as she was doing it, if it was like her own on-the-job training, um, she, she certainly harnessed a lot of different... Uh, uh, parties uh, from volunteers to help with uh, the uh, invasive species to uh, the developer to uh, professionals like Jack White. Now, let's uh, take a moment to talk about um, clearing um, seven acres. Uh, and I was going to wait until later, but it, it seems natural to segue into talking about. Uh, we're in Atlanta, where there are invasive species, most prominently kudzu and uh, privet, are two of the main uh, species not native to the southeast that over have overgrown lots and lots of yards uh, and public spaces. And uh, it w- wouldn't have been an easy effort to come in and clean. She would have had... Probably a small army of volunteers or maybe a big army of volunteers.
2: Uh. Yeah, I mean, it started out certainly uh, just volunteer help. Uh, Ultimately, uh, and that was somewhat successful. I mean, it's very difficult when you have an area that's been uh, inundated with invasive species to remove them. By manual means, so that's kind of was the methodology to start out, and and with seven acres, you can kind of make inroads into certain areas of it, but not the not the entire uh, seven acres was able to be addressed. So as time went on, it became obvious that we needed to get some more professional help, and luckily, uh, the city of Atlanta is blessed to have a few individuals who are kind of dedicated to that uh, a gentleman by the name of Walter Bland with Rock Spring Restorations. Um, His area of interest is native grasses, and uh, he also has a business that not only plants natives, but also does the work to remove the invasives. And and we partnered with him fairly early on to start um, doing the work to do the larger scale invasives removal. Yeah, tip of the hat to
1: Walter Bland. Uh, Some of the listeners uh, may know that uh, I sit on the board of the Sandy Springs Environmental Project. You as the director director of the Blue Heron uh, Nature Preserve, we have common missions in that we're in the early stages of working with the Sandy Springs Conservancy to create a nature preserve uh, that would be called the Marsh Creek Greenway. And, and you were generous enough to uh, direct us uh, or, or nice enough to direct us to Walter Bland. And so he's uh, done an initial site survey and we will do some additional site surveys. And there's quite a bit of uh, of uh, non-invasive species to be removed. Now you know his expertise uh, uh, has become horticulture because he'll remove the non-invasive species, but. Actually, leave the uh, native species uh, alone, and uh, and maybe even introduce a more native species in a in a landscape uh, uh, architecture uh, approach to the uh, entire project. Um, he, um, you know, he is. Uh, uh, I highly specialized as you said there's only a few people on uh, that are uh, experts in this area of restoration now uh you also have a structure on that uh property that are is your the the headquarters for right. uh, blue hair nature preserve um and it's really a, a quite a nice little building um that was certainly a bonus <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah i mean uh more interesting uh, story. So Nancy, very resourceful. Um, she didn't stop with just the seven-acre acquisition. Um, she saw the, uh, the opportunities as time went on for additional acquisitions. She was extremely good about making friends, and she made friends with adjoining property owners. Of this seven-acre parcel, including uh, an architect firm, Thompson, Hancock, and Whitty, they had built this uh, building on Roswell Road across from Pike's Nursery uh, back in 1980 or thereabouts, and that was their headquarters for 35 or more years. Um, she befriended Bill Witty uh, and um, was hoping that maybe there would be an opportunity down the road, and as it turned out, they decided that they were, had outgrown the space uh, there and were looking to move out. And so she... Uh, very wisely introduced uh, them to the City of Atlanta. At that point, we had an association with the City of Atlanta. Uh, We started out as a private organization, but ultimately became a City of Atlanta Park, and I'm happy to talk a little bit about that. But um, she was able to get the city interested in purchasing not only the building, but the five acres that surrounded the building. And and to us, the five acres was really the more important piece. We weren't quite sure what the heck we were going to do with a a 10,000-square-foot building especially an organization that really didn't have a staff at that point. It was all volunteer-based at that point. So um, she was able to convince the city that this was a valuable opportunity, and they were willing to put in the monies. Howard Shook, I'll mention his name. He's our city council representative with the city of Atlanta, very much a proponent of green space. I mean, his idea is he wants to have a park. To your point about pocket parks, he wants to have a park within a 10-minute walk of every every resident's. Resident in his district. So he was always very much a supporter of the idea of trying to acquire additional green space. And Nancy was very resourceful, not only with this acquisition of the architect firm property, but there were three other additional uh, parcels that were purchased or acquired by the city um, subsequent to that. So it was was an interesting story how what started out as a seven-acre green space ultimately is now a 30-acre green space. Well,
1: it really has a... um Interesting uh, evolution, and we're going to talk more about that and we'll uh, include the uh, discussion uh, about the the blue water. Uh, the, the blue way rather uh, the, the blue way which uh, follows uh, uh, waterways I guess mm-hmm. and, and hence the name uh, the blue way initiative when we come back uh, among other things we'll continue to talk about the evolution of the blue heron nature preserve we're here with Kevin McCauley the executive director and we'll be back to talk with Kevin more about this right after this break
3: or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today.
0: Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Rinaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: We're here with Kevin McCauley, the Executive Director of the Blue Heron Nature Preserve here in North Metro Atlanta. And uh, we've been talking about how the Blue Heron Nature Preserve was Created uh, and a little bit about its early re- evolution, um, becoming a public-private partnership, and I want to uh, focus for a moment on the fact that there is uh, the building which which we talked about, and that there was the architecture firm that had uh, outgrown the, the building. Uh, I personally think it's it's really a neat structure, very suited for that space. It almost has an outdoorsy uh, lodge feel to it. Right. And and you have been equally resourceful, in in engaging other tenants, if you will, because you don't have a huge staff, so you didn't need the entire building. And I want to talk for a moment about uh, uh, who those uh, quote unquote tenants are, because they're. Very complimentary to what you do. So let's talk a little bit about um, that that structure and uh, and 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 who's in it with you.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, very blessed to have some wonderful partners involved with us at the Preserve. So um, when the city agreed to purchase the five acres and the building, and this was about two thousand and eight when this happened, um, they essentially gave us a year to. Turn the building into a viable operation um, because they're somewhat risk averse; don't like to see uh, vacant uh, buildings or vacant uh, land. So they gave uh, us a year to to bring in tenants and to make it a uh, profitable and a viable um, uh, op- you know arrangement. So uh, Nancy was able to find. Um, at that time, Atlanta Audubon, which had their offices at another uh, preserve uh, north of town, uh, they were looking for some location that was closer into the city. Uh, they agreed to come in as a tenant. And then, in addition, there was a woman by the name of Saroya Rushdie. She was interested in starting a international school, which uh, was an immersion, uh, bilingual immersion program for preschoolers. Uh, in English and French and English and Spanish, and she was just starting uh, the business, starting the school, but was looking for a a venue to have that, and so she moved in. So we started out with two tenants um, and not sure exactly how to make that work. Again, um, Nancy was still teaching at that time. I was a volunteer there. I I was working in my uh, professional career. Um, so it was something that we were just kind of cobbling together. Um, we also still had a Jack White, the gentleman I mentioned. He was helping to do a lot of the property management at that point. So we just kind of brought together these two tenants, really kind of not really thinking very deeply about what kind of tenants we were having. It was basically the restriction was the tenant had to be a nonprofit tenant. But beyond that, the city didn't really care uh, who we brought in, and we were just anxious to get somebody in there because we didn't want the year to pass, and the city to say, well, you haven't really made this a useful ongoing uh, resource, so they were going to tear it down. And and, and to your point, I think it's a wonderful uh, structure. It uh, was designed, of course, by the architect firm, so they put a lot of their um, heart and soul into it and made it kind of a very interesting building. They tried to make it somewhat sensitive to the environment, so they kind of built it into the hillside and tried to take advantage of some passive um, solar um, <clears throat> uh, you know, features to it to make it more environmentally uh, nice use of glass, really neat angles. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, adjacent to a pond, uh, adjacent to a pond uh, behind us. So it had a really, uh, uh, very uh, much an outdoorsy feel to it. So it was very much in keeping with uh, the, the idea of a nature preserve. So we were really thrilled to have that building. And after the year when we got these two tenants in here, the city was agreeable to letting us continue on. And it's kind of evolved that we didn't occupy the entire building when it started. But both Atlanta Audubon and the school, which is the Da Vinci International School, became very successful. Um, the school now has over 100 students. They're actually on two campuses now. Uh, in addition to our campus, there's another campus nearby that they use. They started out as a preschool. They're now up through fourth grade. So the 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 enterprise became very successful. Audubon, likewise, has become more and more a part of the Atlanta community and has really become uh, an integral part of the environmental community there. So we've been blessed to, I guess, you know, get lucky twice. Uh,
1: Let, let's talk a little bit about actually just how complimentary uh, they are. Um, are there, um, I, I would imagine that if you go to school in a structure that's in a park, uh, Nature Preserves more specifically, uh, that you can't help but learn a little bit about um, the frogs and the turtles um, maybe the beaver uh, I, I don't know exactly what the wildlife uh, makeup is of the, uh, the preserve but um, do the kids get out or is that incorporated into their program at all?
2: Yeah, so as part of the uh, international school they were very much enamored with the idea of having a school in a preserve and uh, they do take advantage of the opportunities to take the kids outside and uh, along the creek. Where, uh, we have actually have two creeks that flow through the preserve, Nancy Creek, which is a major tributary to the Chattahoochee, and then Mill Creek, which is a smaller tributary to Nancy Creek, which actually drains a large part of the Buckhead Business District. So if you've ever been to Phipps Plaza, tower place or a piedmont center all those areas are part of the watershed that drains into mill creek so they take the kids out on the creek they love they love to get out there there's a very uh floodplain area that's very sandy and it's kind of a natural playground so it doesn't necessarily need to be um built as a playground it kind of it's nature's playground is kind of how we kind of look at it and they, they they definitely take advantage of that Yeah, I uh, grew up in Los Angeles
1: where uh, there wasn't uh, a a lot of water, so to speak. It is a semi-arid environment, and that's why we have the fires uh, that we're having uh, out there now. Uh, So when it rained and there was a nearby uh, street that had not yet been paved, uh, it became my playground. Uh, It was my creek and stream, and uh, Atlanta, Metro Atlanta, uh, much like the southeast, um, uh, has a very, very extensive network of creeks and streams. Um, the watershed here is, is uh, uh, large-scale and uh, complex. Uh, it's a complex n- network, and so the idea that you could have um, connecting greenways around creeks and streams... Uh, as in the case of uh, the blue a which we'll talk we'll talk about is uh, uh, quite uh, uh, doable uh, you know and um, before we we talk about that I want to uh, talk about the Audubon society another uh, ideal partner in that uh, the Audubon society has always been uh, a, a, a leader in speaking out for natural habitats uh, although they are, known for being a bird-focused organization, Um, if you have birds uh, that are healthy uh, within a habitat, that's an indicator that the overall habitat uh, can be really healthy. All the birds know how to adapt to urban settings and are probably in, uh, uh, particularly when you see the migration of birds stopping at uh, some of the the ponds uh, that exist; uh, that those uh, settings might not necessarily be ideal, but uh, good enough for a, uh, a flock of, of geese to stop on the way back to Canada. The Audubon Society has done some things to ensure that uh, some sections of parkland or green space um, remain m- more pristine, more natural, and and so their their mission in some sense uh, perfectly coincides with your mission.
2: Yeah, so you're right. I mean, Audubon's focus is, um, is birds, but they realize that in order for birds to be successful, the habitats that they inhabit have to be successful. So their mission of conservation for birds really is very much in keeping with our mission for um, conservation in general of, of uh, habitat. So um, it's been a really powerful and, and useful partnership that we've had since they've joined us, um, we do programming together, both educational programming as well as on the ground programming. There's there's several grants that we've partnered with them on to restore habitat, to create bird friendly habitat using you know native plants that birds favor or birds uh, depend on. So it's um, it's very much a Symbiotic relationship. I think we're m- we're stronger because of the the fact that we're working together. And,
1: and in fact, we we mentioned uh, you know the elimination of invasive species and um, the possible planting in, in in situations like this of native species. Uh, you just touched on that. Has there been an ongoing effort to introduce uh, native species to the site?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. So I guess there's two kind of ways we've approached that. Is, um, so the idea is to, to remove what is not naturally or natively there and then to either allow the native uh, plants uh, who are somewhat resilient. I mean, a lot of times the seeds have been dormant in the ground, and as soon as the um, the uh, the non-natives are removed. The sun is able to be uh, to expose these seeds, and then they become active and and start to germinate. Um, and they come back on their own. We found that to be quite the case in several places where we've done invasives removal, that just by removing the invasives and just being patient and letting nature kind of reestablish itself and continuing to be diligent about keeping the, the, the invasives at bay, you'll find that the natives will, will start to reestablish themselves. And then in other cases, we've been much more proactive in not only the invasives removal, but, but introducing consciously native plants, and that's been ex- especially the case in our meadow habitats. When we um,
1: come back after this break, we'll talk a little bit about the trail system uh, because part of making this uh, green space accessible to the neighborhood is to have a, a, a trail system, if you will, and I want to ask you a little bit about how that was created. We're with Kevin McCauley, the executive director of the Blue Heron Nature Preserve here in north metro Atlanta, and we'll talk more about the nature preserve itself and how it's evolved right after this break.
3: Do other people smell things that you don't? Have you lost the joy in eating because food just doesn't taste like it used to? Is your nose always stuffy no matter what you do? Maybe you have sinus or nasal polyps. These are generally benign growths that occur from chronic sinus infection or allergies that are either undertreated or have not been treated at all. At Peachtree ENT Center... We specialize in minimally invasive balloon dilation sinus surgery and correction of a deviated nasal septum and turbinate reduction surgery that can be done in the office. We use a state-of-the-art equipment so that you can see the problem. You will be a partner in your care, and together we will decide the course of treatment. We believe in old-fashioned medicine, where we take the time to fix the problem, not just medicate the symptoms. You can rest assured that all options will be offered before surgery is recommended because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the
1: AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host, and I'm here with Kevin McCauley, the Executive Director of the Blue Heron Nature Preserve here in North Metro Atlanta. As you know, many uh, listeners know, I, I, I draw upon... Organizations here in Atlanta as a slice of Americana, uh, which is the way I look at it, to share um, what it is that organizations are doing that exhibit best practices or are interesting uh, in terms of the product services or in the case of nonprofits, you know, what their mission is and, and, and how they're run, how they evolved, you know, how they uh, came about. And the Blue Heron uh, Nature Preserve is, is is something that I really think uh, the vast majority of the community feels good about, just because it's a park, it's a it's green space. You can um, for the immediate neighborhood, you can take a short walk to it and then walk around in it. Uh, and that brings us to the trails. Um, did it start off with trails right in the beginning, or did you? Was there someone
2: hired to? To create a little bit of a path, where they develop naturally? How did that Yes. Evolve? So, again, back to the fact that we're a grassroots organization, volunteer-based, uh, trails were a part of the preserve from the very beginning, but they were all created by volunteers. So it was somewhat haphazard, didn't necessarily follow a standard, wasn't always connected. Um, there were obstacles that we, as volunteers, really couldn't overcome, like creek crossings, for example, road crossings. Um but yeah, I think the whole idea of the nature preserve is to is to invite and introduce people to the outdoors and giving them opportunities to be in the preserve. You know, trails are an integral part of that. Um, but so yeah, over the years, about two two miles of trails currently exists at Blue Heron. And we we talked about
1: um, folks like the Audubon uh, Society as a, as a partner, and we mentioned the City of Atlanta a major partner because uh, one of the things that makes uh, this relationship uh, somewhat unique is that uh, uh, the city uh, adopted the land uh, as a city park you know it has city park designation and is entitled to funding from the city of atlanta and, as such, as a public private partnership and by the way i i you know for listeners out there, particularly those abroad, you know America does have a lot of very interesting public private partnerships where there is funding available through the uh, local state or national government to to do things like uh create a neighborhood park uh, in this case and the city of atlanta uh sees this as part of uh a broader uh green space uh initiative we'll call it plan uh which we'll we'll touch on it a, a little bit later but uh you have the partner to tell us what you know what what the full range of benefits are from being a, 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 a public par- partner with uh, the city being the big public partner
2: yeah, I mean it's uh, it's kind of a, the reality of of uh, governments in, in this day and age is that uh, governments typically are very strapped in terms of their resources. Uh, City of Atlanta is no exception to that, um, and typically um, the things that suffer are those things that are somewhat discretionary. So, park space, for example, is something that when when time comes to cut budgets, uh, usually parkland or or money for parkland is is the first thing to suffer. So this idea of kind of filling that gap with a, pri- a private organization like a blue heron nature preserve really kind of kind of creates a, a much stronger park system when you have individuals and, and organizations like us who are willing to do that um, do that work that the city is unable to because of um, budgetary reasons can't really fund. So I think Atlanta's been very successful in creating these partnerships. So for example, uh, Piedmont Park has a very strong Piedmont Park Conservancy that uh, does a lot of work where the city is unable to. And uh, the city can bring to the table um, a lot of legitimacy, and they enable uh, opportunities for other funding from grants and other things. When you can partner with a municipality, a lot of funding sources want to ha- want to see that. They want to see that there's a, a an, an organization and an agency that has some um, longevity that's going to be there for the long term. And a city government kind of demonstrates that. Whereas a, a private nonprofit, you know, some people may look at that and say, "Well, that may not be here in ten years." Well, and often
1: that the uh, the funding comes from uh, corporations, uh, large and small, uh, you know, for-profit companies that uh, like the idea of supporting a uh, a, a green space initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned Piedmont Park again. For listeners not familiar with Atlanta, that's our Central Park. It's the big park uh, here in Atlanta, uh, and yet um, we mentioned earlier in the program that we have a dearth. You know of, of of green space like a lot of cities so a lot of cities are cultivating uh, groups which do as the Blue hair nature uh, Preserve did, which is uh, create a grassroots effort to find land and and, and and make it available to the neighborhood and consequently uh, you've uh, initiated the blue. Way trail um, and the Blu-ray trail initiative will uh, link uh, the Blue hair Nature Preserve with other greenways. Tell us a little bit about that because that must fit right in with the City of Atlanta's desire
2: to have uh,
1: m- more green space and to make the green spaces accessible.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the, this whole idea of connecting people together through a system of, of, of walking trails um, is very compelling. It's, it's something that's uh, actually started with, uh, at least in Atlanta, started with the PATH organization. Um, they are a nonprofit that's kind of dedicated to creating these connections through a multi-use trails. They started um, with um, a connection out to Stone Mountain from the city of Atlanta many, many years ago. And that was um, back in the day when that I, the idea of it was really not uh, what you think of when you thought of the city of Atlanta. But as time has gone on over the last 10 or 20 years, there's been this kind of a groundswell of this um, belief that um, we can create these connections successfully, not just within the city, but within the, the larger metro Atlanta community. And I know here in Sandy Springs, there's a, uh, a lot of interest and in, in activity around trying to create a... A trail system in in this area that ultimately we will connect uh, to the city of Atlanta and elsewhere. In in fact, I want to give a tip of the hat to the Sandy
1: Springs Conservancy, which is the the, the leader in uh, green space and park uh, creation uh, through public private partnerships. Uh, is the nonprofit foundation uh, that, in fact. Um, Hopefully, will bring the Marsh Creek uh, project, the Marsh Creek Greenway, uh, to fruition in coordination with the Sandy Springs Environmental Project, the group uh, I mentioned that I sit on the board of, that wants to help uh, at the front end with the uh, uh, restoring the ecology of the creek, making it more of a nature preserve as opposed to uh, some other parks um, which are adjacent to the Marsh Creek that would become part of an extended greenway that may run the uh, the, the east-west breadth of uh, Sandy Springs. We have an Abernathy Greenway, which is a, a little bit more of a, a playground-like environment and less of a, a nature preserve. The Marsh Creek would be an adjacent stretch of greenway, of green space that is the nature preserve portion with, with trails and uh, you know we hope we can be coordinated to preserve the ecology to actually bring it back and restore it working with uh, hopefully Walter Bland and the gentleman we mentioned earlier who is an expert in, in restoration and then the conservancy can come in and, and oversee uh, trails uh, and um, turn it into a full full blown um, uh, usable passive uh, green space the blue way project uh the blue way trail initiative uh how many acres are we talking about and and what are you going to connect to
2: yeah so so uh, just to kind of explain a little bit the blue way trail initiative you mentioned greenways and that's typically the term that's used for uh, green spaces that are connected um we we uh, kind of co-opted the term blue way for our purposes because um as you mentioned earlier, creeks are kind of the, the signature feature, natural feature in the city of Atlanta. They're kind of our beachfront. They're where, um, where you know, uh, a lot of the wildlife exists. It's the few remaining pieces of green space that remain are usually along creeks because those are the hardest to develop. Um, and we think that they are kind of the richest habitats for, for us to focus our energies on. And so, as I mentioned, we have two creeks that flow through the preserve. So the idea of a blue way is it's a trail that follows the water courses that come through the preserve. So our interest is not only in in completing the trail system that was built by volunteers within the preserve, but also starting to connect to um, these other green spaces and other places uh, out from the preserve. So our intention is, after we complete phase one of this blue way trail initiative, uh, we will start to focus on connecting to Chastain Park, which is a large city of Atlanta park that's about a half a mile from the nature preserve. And then secondly, connecting uh, Blue Heron to a trail that's being built along Georgia 400 called Path 400. So as time goes on, these connections become much more significant and complete so that theoretically you could w- go from Blue Heron Nature Preserve down to into the city of Atlanta, follow following path 400 and ultimately on the belt line which is a 22 mile loop trail around the city of atlanta and then hopefully maybe someday up to sandy springs to the to the greenway that you mentioned
1: yeah you and i have talked uh, at some point in time it would be nice if we could do that and and the creeks and streams don't uh, necessarily uh uh heed uh city boundaries municipal boundaries and if you look at the the map uh uh, of the watershed for the metro area and and i would encourage anyone who's thinking of doing something like that that's listening uh from uh, texas to maine uh get a hold of the watershed map for your area and perhaps your urban area because it's uh was a natural thing for a lot of uh towns and cities to be founded in places where there was some water there might have been a, a big river but also tributaries of the big river so there were creeks and streams the creeks and streams that come off the chattahoochee or that feed the chattahoochee rather in our watershed are really complex and most of the creeks and streams are in our backyards mm-hmm. so that's what makes the uh uh, connectivity between these uh, spaces that would be publicly accessible a little tricky because uh, you have to find those little st- livers along the creeks and streams that are not necessarily private property or then that are allowed to become a more publicly accessible um,
2: and but we, we've also worked with private uh, property owners in the preserve. So the preserve is actually three disconnected pieces of property that are um, that have private property in between them.
1: So yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, you literally are talking with those private
2: property yeah, owners. Yeah, so you, what you do is you try to cobble together what you can. So where you can acquire property and make it part of uh, your green space or your park, you also um, may find the opportunity to work with a private property owner who may not be willing to sell their property but would be willing to allow you to have an easement through their property for a trail or a conservation easement so that that area would not be developed. So in in already developed areas, it is a challenge to try to bring together the property to create a green space. So you got to be resourceful in some ways and be willing to compromise where you can't acquire property looking for opportunities to partner with private property owners to find other ways to make that that uh, property part of the preserve in some way or part of your park in some way, either with a trail easement or with a conservation easement.
1: And I I think the climate is such that there's a growing number Mm -hmm. of people that are becoming receptive to uh, allowing uh, some portion uh, of their um, backyard to be used for a, a, a greenway. We're here with Kevin McCauley, the executive director of the Blue Heron Nature Preserve. We're going to be back with Kevin to talk more about green space and urban ecology right after this break.
2: This is Lawyer Liz. Join me
0: each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at
3: 2. Do you have problems with sinus pain and pressure? Do other people smell things that you don't? Have you lost the joy in eating because food just doesn't taste like it used to? Is your nose always stuffy no matter what you do? Maybe you have sinus or nasal polyps. These are generally benign growths that occur from chronic sinus infection or allergies that are either undertreated or have not been treated at all. At Peachtree ENT Center, we specialize in minimally invasive balloon dilation sinus surgery and correction of a deviated nasal septum and turbinate reduction surgery that can be done in the office. We use a state-of-the-art equipment so that you can see the problem. You will be a partner in your care, and together we will decide the course of treatment. We believe in old-fashioned medicine, where we take the time to fix the problem, not just medicate the symptoms. You can rest assured that all options will be offered before surgery is recommended, because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. You're listening
0: to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Kevin McCauley, the Executive Director of the Blue Heron Nature Preserve, and we've been talking about uh, uh, creating green spaces, linking those green spaces uh, to provide a measure of connectivity. Uh, Kevin had mentioned early in the show that uh, his councilman, uh, who is um, Howard... Help me with his last name. Howard Shook. Howard Shook uh, wants to have uh, a, a green space or a, a park-like area within ten, a 10-minute ten walk of, of his council district. And I dare say lots of council people in lots of cities now are trying to have pocket parks or parks. And if we can create greenways that are connected, then we could, uh, we could make that a, a, a reality. Uh, on a a very, very large scale, um, we were talking about the city of Atlanta as your partner, and fortunately Atlanta has adopted some fairly ambitious uh, initiatives to become um, more, I guess, park-like is what you might call it, green space-oriented. They've uh, officially engaged uh, Keith Bowers of, of Biohabitats, and you and I both were at a conference, uh where Keith Bauer of Biohabitat spoke uh entitled Seeing the Forest From the Trees uh, which was a part of the new Atlanta City design project and that's a large scale vision of reclaiming nature in a, in an urban setting and I would encourage uh listeners to go to uh, habitats inc uh google that and and that'll take you to a a a presentation uh that's made available on that site uh that tells you a little bit about what Baltimore barcelona spain edmonton canada hamburg germany kansas city and san francisco are doing and what's in store for the uh, atlanta region you know there's talk that they want to make it uh, the premier american city for uh, reclaiming nature Uh, that remains to be seen because that's really quite ambitious but organizations like yours are exactly um fulfilling that that mission you know so Uh, I would imagine at some point in time, uh, you know, you're going to be possibly meeting with the Habitats, uh, Inc. folks. Um, um, Do you uh, agree that... uh, It's an ambitious approach to to restoring uh, biodiversity and a healthy urban ecology. And, you know, I apologize, that's a mouthful, but that's exactly (laughs) what they're trying to do. It's it's a comprehensive, uh, yet a down-to-earth approach, so to speak. Uh, And would you agree that's really, really, really an ambitious undertaking?
2: Yeah, I mean certainly uh, built environments are are hard to kind of retrofit to uh, enable nature to be successful. So yeah, I, I would say if you had a, just a, a green field and wanted to do this, it'd be much easier to introduce the built environment to a to a, uh, a, an otherwise undeveloped area. But to go in the other direction is is much more difficult
1: to undo. To uh, undo, yeah. <laughs> to
2: but but it's possible. So uh, to me, uh, there's great opportunities, and we do have a great. Um, administration in the city of Atlanta who is thinking about this. They're thinking about the future. They're thinking about not only the future of the built environment, but like you say, they're they're thinking about the future of the built environment uh, where nature can kind of coexist and also actually uh, uh, help the built environment be more uh, resilient and more successful.
1: In that presentation was a great graphic. It was a a very surreal image of a uh, densely uh, structured urban environment, and it shows a section of that urban environment being peeled back, you know, buildings and all, to reveal uh, a forest uh, which, uh, you know, uh, from the biohabitats perspective, uh, nature is there waiting to be reclaimed. If you can just pull away the concrete, uh, it will uh, allow for the flourishing of certain uh, natural uh, Natural Habitats, uh, it's a striking image and uh, it stayed with me. Um, I, Kevin, I want to g- talk about how you ever became in environmental matters and uh, specifically how you became involved with the Blue Heron Nature Preserve.
2: Yeah, so uh, in, I guess uh, my formative years I spent up in Massachusetts. We lived, um, our family lived uh, right on the ocean north of Boston in, in a historic town called Salem which many people may know about, uh, famous for the Salem Witches. Um, but we were just two houses down from the ocean, so spent many, many uh, hours and days with my brothers and sisters and friends down along the water's edge kind of exploring. And that's kind of where I guess I became enamored with, with uh, the world outside of the, the world of people and, and places, the world of nature, so I really uh, kind of formed my love for the outdoors, my love for um, the, the uh, wild places. Uh, then, and then over the years, my, my family moved south eventually to Atlanta, um, and that's where I uh, got married and had my uh, uh, my two daughters. Um, <coughs> and um, when we did move to back to Atlanta, I spent some time out west in San Francisco with my. Uh, my family my wife uh came back to atlanta um wanted to really do something to try to uh, make a difference in the neighborhood so i started out with an an adoptive stream program uh a creek uh called little nancy creek that we adopted and tried to get the neighborhood involved in kind of being uh, more aware of and more concerned about the outdoors and the in the, the wild spaces that still remained in our neighborhood and um Came to know Nancy through that. Uh, There was another gentleman, Bill Eisenhower, who has done a lot of work. He was part of the uh, Piedmont Park Conservancy, done a lot of work with uh, the uh, group called the Petrie Nancy Creek Technical Advisory Committee, which I sat on for a while many years ago, and just became interested in this whole idea of of trying to restore the natural habitats that surrounded our neighborhood, and then Nancy. Came up with this idea of trying to save this uh, seven acre parcel that became Blue Heron and uh, invited me to, to join her. And my interest at, and originally was with uh, at, establishing a community garden at the Nature Preserve. When we were in San Francisco, uh, they have a wonderful uh, community garden program out there, hundreds of community gardens throughout the city. And I just wanted, I didn't see that here and wanted to try to establish that. So Nancy was uh, kind enough to allow the idea to kind of flourish at Blue Heron and it's been a wonderful experience just kind of giving people an outlet for um, growing uh, 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 vegetables and things outside I mean Atlanta's blessed to have a lot of trees where the city and the forests which doesn't usually lend itself to gardening uh, especially vegetable gardening which requires a lot of sunlight so um, started that but yeah I I think I think these experiences that you have as a child really kind of formulate your your thoughts as an adult and it's just when you become an adult you have an opportunity to kind of express them in a way that hopefully makes a difference
1: yeah i think whether you grow up on a farm uh, in texas or uh, you're uh, learning to hunt in montana or living near the seashore in uh, massachusetts Or living near the ocean and spending time uh, around the ocean in uh, Southern California. You know, you – you and also uh, one of my favorite things to do was to get up into the uh, Sierra Madres. uh, And so you get into natural environments and you develop this affinity and you want to have that – uh, be a part of your urban setting, and uh, and hence you have programs uh, uh, and organizations like yours, and uh, the Sandy Springs Environmental Project that I'm a part of to to sort of create uh, environments or sustain preserve uh, habitats so that uh, you know we can all enjoy it and it used to be there was kind of a, a tree hugging thing and uh, uh, or at least that's how uh, supporters of uh, green space might have been characterized but these days we understand that it's even good economic development and I want to I'll give a tip of the hat to the Sandy Springs Conservancy, who a couple of years ago invited Ed McMahon of the Urban Land Institute, who gave a talk and talked about how it's not just the uh, home values of homes surrounding a golf course that increase in value with the golf course, but if you make that a park that's accessible to even more people than just the golfers, those home values increase uh, as well. And so green space is a great uh, in, uh, contributor to the economic development of any uh, uh, city, and, uh, and we're, we're, we're hopefully opening up the eyes to, of more people to that. Um, Kevin, I want to thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, to come on to the Business Hour and talk about the Blue Heron Nature Preserve and the good work that uh, that you and your organization is doing. And also, um, I'm going to mention uh, that we, we were going to try to have uh, Nikki Belmonte with the Audubon Society on the program as well, but her uh, schedule did not permit it. Uh, We'll hopefully have her on the program uh, sometime in the near future, and we'll be able to talk about uh, the Audubon Society's good work um, as well. So thank you, Kevin, uh, for coming out on what is a snowy day it's uh, sunny, uh yeah. we're looking out from the studio and uh, uh we uh have a little bit of accumulation out there
2: um so we're kind of a winter wonderland it's been a pleasure ron i mean you and i have been friends for many years and recently reconnected so really appreciate it you've been listening to uh america's web radio
1: the business hour 10 to 11 on fridays have a great weekend we'll see you on the radio next week